Welcome to Pit Pass Moto, the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. I'm PJ Dorn, and in most cases, we'd be bringing the racing right to you. Sadly, as we all know, we're dealing with a unique situation. COVID is in our way and in the way of all racing. So wash your hands, as my producer Leo would say, wash your damn hands. Today on Pit Pass, we're going to be talking to the wonderful Alex Morris from the legends and heroes of Supercross. So we will look forward to that. And we do have a trivia question here on Pit Pass. This week's question of the week was, what year and make introduced swing arm rear suspension to production motorcycles? What year and make introduced swing arms to the rear suspension of production motorcycles? We'll be back with that answer on the other side of our interview. Welcome to the program today, Alex Moros. Alex runs the Legends and Heroes of Supercross, a preservation of Supercross history. Thanks for taking the time to join us today, Alex. We really appreciate it uh, in the, amidst the uh, very uh, unique situation that the country finds itself in. We really appreciate you taking the time with us on Pit Pass today. Welcome. Oh, well, thank you. It gives me a break in my, my busy schedule today. And uh, it's always good to talk to our moto heads out there. So uh, hello to everybody. So, Alex, uh, speaking of, you said busy schedule. What are you up to uh, at this uh, somewhat challenging time? Uh, uh, clearly, the history of Supercross doesn't go away just because of the situation we find ourselves in. What are you up to? Well, uh, no, not at all. I, you know, with this break that we had with the Supercross program, Ronnie Stewart Racing has been one of our guys that have been helping out this year. And his wife, Brooke, and uh, himself, actually, they're doing some cool programs starting this week with uh, social media. And so they've been scripting out and we've been working uh, out uh, some chronicles of him and his relationship with us during the series and getting our sponsors uh, recognition. So we're still, you know, promoting all the folks who promote our program to be involved in the social media that we do. And uh, we've got a great team of people that work with us on that. Scott Lukaitis over at Engine Ice. Uh, he does a lot of our promos and scripting. Fellow that uh, actually took over to manage a series uh, for us in California, fellow by the name, uh, he's from CalVMX, Frank Veritas. Frank is the lead for the program and the, uh, the major principal now for Legends and Heroes and his team, does a fantastic job and then we have um, you know a lot of the logistics that we're going to be doing when we hit the road again because uh when this is over and it will be and uh, everybody hopefully will be healthy and ready to go we'll be getting a uh, supercross uh grinding and the museum will be going out there to celebrate and uh you know along with the uh, pro motocross series uh when that hits later this summer so it should be pretty good and we're all excited busy busy so it, it never stops for us gotcha alex it's worth uh talking about exactly what the the foundation and uh is legends and heroes of supercross and uh, can you talk a little bit about the museum is that a static museum or is that a traveling deal oh it's a traveling deal it is a uh... A traveling museum, and uh, depending on each year what we have for our funding program, it's uh, either a tractor trailer or a mobile unit that we bring around. And it all initiated back in 2008. That's how far back we go. I was the ARMA off-road director back then, and uh, we were promoting uh, ARMA membership drive. At uh, We were at the, the Motocross the Nations in Colorado. It just seemed like a lot of fun. A lot of people came by to see the old bikes and 
we were talking to a lot of folks in the industry and I ran into Gary Bailey and Gary Bailey kind of liked the idea. And it kind of morphed from just a bunch of volunteers showing old bikes to um, a program. I, if I remember right, it was 2009. We kind of coined Legends and Heroes as a trademark. And uh, soon after that, when I saw and followed up with Gary Bailey, he donated a uh, 45-foot gooseneck trailer that used to be his Honda well, training training trailer. That trailer uh, was used uh, as our first museum. We went to a bunch of nationals and uh, to a Supercross event at Daytona, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, it, people just came over and gravitated to bikes, and, and sponsors started to help out. And that was important for us because, you know, this was a hobby that we had started, and they had to have some kind of fuel. And, you know, the fuel was basically the sponsorships and folks that we had known in the industry that would, you know, throw us some gas money, hotel money, or whatever. And we kind of just grew it year by year after that. It's a great story, so I'm sure that you've uh, moved a long ways from that initial trailer, haven't you? Oh, yeah. Well, we kind of laugh because uh, the Bailey trailer, and thank God for Bailey, uh, Dick Gary for donating it, because without it, we would not have to learn about sponsorships and the opportunity of you know, putting uh, those sponsors in the forefront. But uh, we knew that we wanted to get it to a next level, and uh, I met a buddy of mine, a racing buddy of mine, Mike Owens from California and Mike came in as a managing partner. He, the next trailer we got was a true brand new trailer. It was a walkthrough and we had the bikes inside and all the merchandise and gear and everything from the, uh, the early days of the event. It was kind of cool to see all that stuff. And unfortunately Mike passed away way too soon, but when he passed away, we had gone to a larger rig, uh, another 53 foot trailer and, you know, we were just jamming down the road, a full Supercross contract and going to some of the Outdoor Pro Nationals. And uh, what we did notice uh, in that was that people love to gravitate to the old bikes. They like to see the old bikes and love to talk about the old bikes. And people in our industry, they like to see it and, and they like what we had brought to the table with it. It was, uh, it was, it was fun. And, you know, it's just thinking of a guy who raced and had a chance to enjoy this in the early 70s when it started. I got a, I got a chance to see all my heroes. That was a cool thing, you know, from David Bailey to uh, Gary Jones, the Jones brothers, Brad Lackey, Jeremy McGrath. It's been really a cool ride with all those guys. Yeah, and how much involvement? Do you, you mentioned some uh, obvious legends of the sport. How much involvement do those guys have on a re recurring basis? In the early days of... Jimmy Pomeroy and Marty Smith and Brad Lackey and Donnie Hansen. There was a crew of guys that uh, just gravitated to, to this because of what we were doing. They were also vintage racing, which was kind of cool back in, the, uh, you know, 2005, 2006. They were, they were getting into the sport, sport again to race their old bikes. And so I got a chance to see these guys and connect with them one-on-one -on -one basis. So when we did the museum, they were all on board to help out. If I went to California and I'd say, Marty, you want to do an autograph signing? We'd be at San Diego and, uh, you know, you could be the legend at San Diego. We would give Marty an award, have an autograph signing. And, you know, for a couple hours while those champs are there, we'd be mobbed because everybody wanted to see the champs. And then every year as we gave our awards out, each legend would have a connection with us. Uh, I remember one year we did uh, Damon Bradshaw, Damon's uh, East Coast guy. And it was just so much fun to to be involved with him. And, you know, Damon is now involved with fly racing and 
He's awesome. I've had him in my shop yeah, recently. It, in my shop, I, I work at a motorcycle dealer. He's out there. He's a he's an approachable superstar of the sport. Unbelievable. And it's so nice to see how grounded many of the guys are. Like they're so appreciative. They're great people that they had stellar careers and everybody um acknowledged their careers, but more importantly, after their careers, they had a second life come come to the surface for folks like us that appreciated their accomplishments and all the fan base that were involved in. And, uh, and that's why, you know, they feel good about it. That's why they enjoy it. At every event, there is somebody in the crowd that'll say, I remember McGrath when, uh, you know, he won Las Vegas. I remember Doug Henry when he came out on that bike and he was the first stroke, first four stroke to win a Supercross in Vegas. Or they'll say, Lance Smale. I remember Lance. I remember that bike down at Daytona and that was the first four stroke ever to um, qualify. I remember when I met Lance Smale, and um, I saw him at Daytona, and it was in 96 or 97. Don't quote me, but it was either year. But that four-stroke was going down a straightaway down in Daytona, and that, that it was a 540 KTM one-off. And every time he let off the gas, it backfired, and flame came out of the exhaust. And the crowd went hysterical because we were two-stroking at the time, and four-strokes were there uh, – you know, they were specialty bikes. That was the coolest thing I ever saw. And when I met Lance, I was like, wow. Hey, and I were talking on the phone one day, and I said, yeah, I remember the flaming. And he said, yeah, I think you should flame out all the time. So you're <laughs> way, really way cool. And and that's um, really a, an important part of what you're doing, what you're uh, – what this foundation is doing is bringing back and reminding people of those indelible timelines, indelible uh, marks in history, be it the riders, be it the machines. In that vein, how do you decide, Alex, what the what the next spotlight is going to be cast upon for you guys? Well, you know, history is one of those things. Uh, it's timeless. And it, it, what we call it is a, it's a, it's a dynamic, ever-moving market. It means... What is in your age group and my age group, there is a nostalgia for it. And today's person in his mid-30s has his age group that he has a nostalgia for. So as we see the program, uh, you know, I was so fortunate to have this program be a part of us and have some good people that helped me out along the way. As I said, uh, folks like Mike Owens, uh, uh, some other folks, uh, Brad Whitworth and Tommy uh, Erickson and Peter Nunneman, all these guys were uh, all partnered up with me to get this through and grow it. Today, it's in the hands, as I said, of Frank Redis and the Cal VMX guys. We had some really close-knit buds that are helping to run it along with uh, a fellow by the name of Marlon Phillips and John Tilton. And as I'm 69 now, and I've been doing this a long time, I'm in a position where I've I'm mentoring these guys. They're going to take the reins. They're going to fulfill this to the next uh, level. And where we see it going is the, you know, the museum itself for next year. We hope to have uh, a relationship with a major uh, tractor man manufacturer for a trailer and host uh, an interactive museum that uh, people can come in and see some bikes and not only travel at the Supercross, but to bring it to the main street in the country, like maybe uh, a, contracted out to have it at the shops or open houses. Yeah, too. I was going to say dealer tour seems like a wonderful wonderful use of uh what you've built getting it to a dealer. It is and you know we had a a, a couple of great opportunities when we were on the road with Supercross that we went to uh the Toyota dealer 
in Ensenadas. And although as a car dealer, they will host a bike night uh, on Thursday night prior to the Supercross. And they'll have Cooper Webb or uh, Dungey would be there or any of the, the mainstay riders and the teams. And it was such a great evening because everybody gravitates to it. And it's great for our sport. Going to Malcolm Smith, we would do that one too. Uh, the uh, the cool thing about going to a shop like Malcolm's or any shop is that if we do the planning and they do the local marketing, we really get a big crowd. It's just not having the race teams there, but when you bring a museum in, the museum has a lot of gravitation to it. We always key on products for that dealer that might have a historical link. There's a lot of dealers that, for example, Maroney's over here on the East Coast, Pat Maroney's still got one of his original Harley Davidson MXers that he raced with hanging from the ceiling. And then uh, we were out there a couple of years ago doing a special event that encompassed this shop. And that was a lot of fun. We are always open to that. And that's something that we would like to have the museum have a chance to, to get more and more uh, exposure. So more than just the events see us, but more of the general public. Absolutely. I mean, I, you've mentioned you've got sponsors. Clearly, they're a crucial component to uh, not only race teams, but to your foundation. Do you guys, I have to believe you're a charitable organization in that you receive charities, a la the, you know, the, any of the motorcycle foundations and or museums that I'm aware of uh, would do. No, actually, uh, Legends and Heroes and Thundercross Associates that originally opened up, we looked at being a 501c, but we wanted to make it more of a of a business than a charitable group. And so that way we could, instead of taking donations, we could actually provide a service. And that's what we do. For example, uh, our friends at Feld Entertainment and Monster Energy Supercross, we have an agreement with them as a partner to deliver the museum as a value add for the pit party. And then the folks at, uh, say, Yawasa, battery or the folks over at food for life bread or dunlop engine nice the guys over at venco rich designs Aturbis plastics and i'll try to get through all of them in a second but what we do is we actually give them value as an advertising piece to our component so they get a lot of exposure and uh, they get a chance to display their products and the history of their products you know it's it's kind of cool to see uh, T- talon volan from the service come over and uh, not only do we have a couple bikes there that actually have his products that people did rebuilds with but uh, the history of experience going way back when they got into this country is kind of cool and so they have a legacy that they want to show and they want to uh, get out there it's the same thing with dunlop how long dunlop's been in the business and you know dunlop tires are on the bikes back in the 70s and you know they still brock lover and you know that crew that uh, manages the racing is uh, still is a leader now in our industry I think more championships have been won on Dunlops than anything else out there. So it's kind of cool to, you know, we show that legacy. You know, ironically, if you ask me, why do I have a company like Food for Life Breads with us? Well, the two brothers from the company, they used to race motocross as kids. And their father was all it takes. And uh, yeah, and that was it. And they came out to see a Supercross some years ago, and they've been one of our key sponsors ever since. I mean, they have a passion for the the race, and we've we've uh, help distribute their product and a lot of racers use their product just because you know they're not being paid to use it they use it because it's a good product for uh for training so uh you know it's a it's quite a story there behind it there's a story behind everybody you watch the battery uh actually a good friend of mine john hart whose nephew is carrie hart 
we used to watch Kerry race pro motocross years ago when he was a struggling kid out of his van traveling the country. A humble kid, you know, and Uncle John, as we would say, John, John and I used to race vintage motocross together. Well, where did John end up working? He worked at Uasa Battery. Well, one day it came that Uasa had some new people and they wanted to get uh, out there to a younger crowd to use a, to use the product. Well, we had that younger crowd, plus we had the legacy crowd. And hey, every vintage bike, you know, enduro and everything back from the 70s and 80s or 90s needs a battery if it's street legal. <laughs> so it was That's a perfect right. fit. So everybody, everybody who's involved with this has a chance to showcase their product and be a part of our, our team. And I've enjoyed it so much. I mean, my background was marketing and sales. So we always knew the value of, of promotion and delivering and being sure that uh, our clients are happy with what we provided. And it was just a natural for this program and how, how it was developed. And, you know, it's fun stuff. And it's, it's something I look on as, you know, a hobby I did over 10 years ago that turned into a full-time job. And, you know, 300,000 miles later on the motorhome, still loving it. Gosh, that's, that is awesome, Alex. Um, so let's put you on the spot. I know uh, I, I want to know, people want to know, who's the next legend that you guys are going to – can you divulge uh, future plans at all, or is this a well-guarded secret uh, that you can't let out of the bag <laughs> until, it, until the time comes? <laughs> Well, we we uh, we did have Briars Meyerkoff. He was going to be our legend for uh, the indie event, and that was canceled. So the other guys that were in the wings, we really can't share yet because the events aren't noted for Supercross for the dates. It wouldn't be fair to them to say that they'll be the legend, and you know because of the the virus that the event doesn't happen. Absolutely, I will tell you that uh, one of these days. I would like to see uh, James Stewart up there with us. That's funny. I was going to mention him. And I'd like to see, uh, when he retires, number 22 up there with us, too. Oh, man. Gosh, he's still going strong. Yeah, he's he's a legend. Uh, not even a past legend. He is a current legend. He's reached that level. He's still a guy. Is uh, You know, if he walks down that pit, everybody knows who he is. Uh, you know, he and he's always he's left he's left a really great legacy in his racing career, and how many people enjoy him. And uh, he and I have had, had a couple couple conversations on when he retires, what what he's going to do. And I said, well, you could you could join the circus with us. And uh, he started laughing. He was he may not want to travel as much when he retires. Oh so. yeah, his dance card's going to be full. I would think he would be an uh, automatic for the TV as well for broadcasting in some capacity. Absolutely, yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of cool. You know, there's a lot of these guys that we were close to in the last 10 years, like Ryan Dungeon and his family. And we were happy to help out with St. Jude's the last couple of years with Ryan and, and Feld Entertainment. And they're all great people. You know, you get to know them. When you get to know them personally, they put their pants on the same way. They have the same personal issues that all of us have. Plus, they're elite athletes that, are, that have a, a, a desire to win and be successful. And ironically... The racer today is the same guy he was in 1970. You know, they have the same desire. They have the same issues. They have the same belief that they're going to be able to move on and, and be number one. That's what history is all about. It repeats itself. And uh, talking to the champs back then and talking to some of these champs today, there's a lot of similarities that, that go on in their lives and brought them to the point to where they were. 
I always equate Brad Lackey 10 years in Europe to win the world championship and all the things he went through with the prototype bikes that were breaking and he couldn't get the points. And, and then, uh, and then he won that championship in 1982. And if you hear the story or if they ever made a movie on that, it would be so cool. about a kid that, you know, in 1972, uh, was went to Czechoslovakia a couple of years prior to race for CZ, and you know he was just about to win the, the uh, championship in '72, and Kawasaki picked him up the last couple of races so they could claim the championship versus CZ. Brad just went on as the market developed here in the U.S. They wanted a lot of the early riders then to stay in the U.S. to develop the program, and Brad wanted to go to Europe. And he wanted to race with the best. He wanted to compete and win a world championship. He wanted to be a Roger DeCoster. He wanted to be a Joel Robert. And it was hard. I mean, they, they had his wife. They had their kids. They traveled in a motorhome in Europe. Ten years. And uh, I always remember talking to Larry Lackey, and she would say, yep, yep. For 40 years, I was with that man motorcycling. And so the next 40 years, he's going to be with me going on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> and that is a valid, valid request. Uh, question for you, Alex. Uh, how do you go about locating the remarkable, I'll say remarkable machinery and equipment that you guys end up with? I mean, is that a is that a never-ending supply? Is that the easy part of this? Or is it as difficult as I would imagine it is? Well, it, it can appear to be difficult uh, for some folks, but remember at I started racing with Arma back in 1989, so we had a lot of friends all over the country when we did the racing. And then as off-road director, there was a, I was at every Arma National, and there was a slew of people with bikes. And when we said, hey, we're going to an event, and we're going to be in Colorado, and I'd call a couple of buds up, can you bring a few bikes? Before I know it, I got 20 people bringing 20 bikes. They'd get 20 passes to come for free, and we'd set them up. And so over the years, all of our race buddies and every major market continually come over and they uh, will call them up and they bring the bikes. So a lot of those 15 to 30 bikes that you see are all local bikes. They're all part of our volunteers that come help set up the display and they help tear it down and they showcase their bikes. So that's just one of the good things that we were able to accomplish on a national basis. So we could go to just about any city in this country and have a nice cool display, whether it's Indianapolis, Dayton, Ohio, Foxborough, Massachusetts, Las Vegas, Nevada. That's how it worked. And then of course we'd have some really pristine bikes inside the museum that would oh, go yeah. on tour and uh, they would travel with us. So and those come from the collection of some of our volunteers who allow us to kind of, you know, take the bike and put it on the road for the year. They're just uh, good-hearted people. Vintage motorcycles have the best uh, owners typically. I mean, they're, they're labors of love themselves. And getting to show it off is, is part of the reward, or at least that's been my experience, regardless of uh, the type of uh, motorcycle it is, road race, trials, enduro, whatever, motocross. The guys who build them to perfection, they want the world to see them. It's not just bragging, but certainly there may be a component of that, but it's showing off what the what they really did look like, and it's wonderful to see. It is. You're absolutely right. It's a passion. As my uh, as you know, my wife would say, you have a disease, and I don't like it. I would laugh and just, yeah, but I got the disease. You, know, you find the little carcass, and you want to rebuild it, and it costs you more to rebuild it than you could resell it, but there's a connection to it. 
everyone that I know that, that has rebuilt from a little uh, Z50 to uh, to a Honda six-cylinder street bike to maybe their uh, 1973 Mako 400 has a connection to the bike and a labor of love when they built it. I mean, the best therapy you could have is go in that garage, take that bike, pull it apart, get the wire wheel, clean the nuts, clean the bolts, strip the frame down, everybody paint the frame, start reassembling, rebuild the motor, new fork seals. Before you know it, you got a bike, you love it, you go race it, then you start with another one. And that one might end up in your trophy collection in your uh, in your office or wherever. You get to share it with people. Alex, it's been uh, wonderful having you on today. I know you mentioned a good number of your sponsors. Are there more that you would – I want to give you a chance, one, to, to mention any sponsors of the foundation and further how people can uh, find out what's going on with the foundation uh, in the future because certainly uh, I, I like the sounds of – you know, expanding your footprint, not just being at Supercross and Motocross, potentially being other places the public can get a look at what you guys are doing. All of our sponsors that I had mentioned earlier today are are key to our existence. And you know, I thank them so much for all their support. If folks want to uh, reach out to us, they can always go to our website. That's legendsandheroestour.org. And you can reach out to us there, and uh, info at legendsandheroestour.org is a way to get a hold of us and uh, be happy to discuss uh, whether you want to volunteer, show your bike, get a free pass to come to an event. Maybe that dealership wants to have us in town next time we're on the road, or uh, maybe you just want to be part of our uh, successful sponsorship program to uh, put your shingle on the trailer and, and travel with us across the country. So. By all means, uh, info at legendsandheroes.org. Just reach out. We're there. There's a phone number there. You can always reach us. And happy to have another pilgrim join the journey with us. Well, thank you again, Alex, for joining us today. It's been wonderful talking with you. I want to say thank you for what you do, for uh, keeping the, the history of the sport and the, the legends of the sport in uh, current context for uh, the fans uh, that join you at the races. So thank you again, Alex, for joining us on Pit Pass. Thank you very much. I'll see you at the races. This week's trivia question on Pit Pass was, what year and make introduced swing arm rear suspension to production motorcycles got us away from the hardtails? Finally, the answer was the 1948 Royal Enfield. That was the first production bike. There were some one-offs before that, but that was a production bike, and it really changed the way we rode motorcycles. I've been doing a lot of reading lately, and swing arm suspension, wow, it changed our world before that uh, guys really did say nothing handles like a rigid and they were correct uh, the first attempts at swing arm suspension were a bit dodgy and the front might go a different direction than the rear they finally got that all worked out and it's brought us to where we are today we still have swinging arm suspension so thank you royal enfield for being the pioneers on that Sadly, uh, due to the current COVID situation that we all find ourselves in, again, do stay safe out there and clean. We don't really have any motorcycle upcoming news, but I assure you, 
We at Pit Pass are going to be back to talk about motorcycles. Just because there isn't racing right now doesn't mean we can't talk about them. They're still what we love, what we do, and we know it's what you love. Uh, hopefully you get a chance to ride your bike, mini bike, scooter, whatever. Get out there and ride. Thank you again to our guests for being with us today, and thank you for tuning in. We really appreciate it. If you enjoyed this episode of Pit Pass, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app where you'll get alerts when new episodes are uploaded uh, of course make sure you're also following us on twitter facebook instagram and pitpassmoto.com of course this has been a production of evergreen podcast a special thank you to tony wink tommy boy halverson ed Coolencamp, social media contributor chris bishop our producer, Leah Longbreak, and audio engineer, Sean Rule Hoffman, and Eric Colt now. I'm PJ Dorn for Pit Pass. We'll see you next week. Keep the rubber side down, the shiny side up, and keep your hands clean. Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast. 